Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey there, and welcome into another episode of the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. Got a big favor to ask of you. Consider sharing this podcast with anyone that you know, maybe even somebody you just think that might get benefit from it. We're trying to expand our reach, obviously. That's a goal of the Nature Reliance Media Podcast, and what we want to do is make sure that we encourage you because we cannot do it without you. So after listening to this podcast, if you find it worthy of sharing, then please share it on social media. Tell people about it. Send it in a text to one of your friends. Share it. We greatly appreciate it. So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion. Respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. When it comes to your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. This is a portion of a speech attributed to the Shawnee warrior Tecumseh, often stated as being Tecumseh a chief. He was not a chief. Maybe we'll cover that in a history of the Shawnee nation at some point in time. 
don't really know the validity if this is actually him saying this. Whether he did or not, I like it. I thought it was really good stuff. I think there's a lot of messages there. I think there's messages there that all of us can get something from. What I wanted to do is share some things that I used to teach for an incredible long period of time. Actually, I put about 10 years of instruction into a program that I called Building Character Through Aikido. Many of you who listen to the podcast know that I'm owner-director of Nature Reliance School and I teach survival and tracking and all sorts of interesting things in the outdoors. But before that, I was a full-time martial arts instructor. And one of the things that I did was I developed a program that I went into schools and taught character education, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I utilized the martial art of Aikido and some things from Japanese, probably more likely legend than history than anything else. But I utilized them as a launching pad to get some character virtues across. I thought I would share these with you today as well. The reason I've kind of put a hodgepodge of maybe Native American warrior-ism as well as some samurai warrior-ism is I'm currently reading another book, The Code of the Warrior. This book is written by Shannon French. I found it to be really interesting. And the thought of having a code or a way of living anymore seems to be something that's just completely lost unless particularly if you're in the military. There's a lot of creeds, there's a lot of codes in different military units, but very rarely does a company, if you will, have a mission statement that is so prominently engaged in character development and virtue. The book that I mentioned explores several different warrior classes in particular details their code of conduct and the things that were literally spelled out as this is what we're focused on. I think the thing that's worthy of research and study is how different warrior classes had a code of conduct. And I, I used to say this to the, the people that were engaged in the building character through Aikido program, which primarily were youth. I focused a lot of attention on middle school to high school aged kids, uh, both male and female, and that is to engage in the thought of this. If we had a warrior class and all they're doing is being trained in how to kill other people, but they don't have some virtuous content or virtuous foundation or something of that nature, then you're just creating killing machines, and if they don't get their Big Mac at McDonald's right, then they just kill somebody. And I think Although there's a lot of things that Japanese military personnel have done that were just abhorrent in warfare, uh, and particularly in the more modern age. In the feudal era of Japan, there was an intense focus on duty, dedication to family, if you will, dedication to the country, as well as an integral focus on art appreciation, poetry, and things of that nature to basically balance out the warrior. So I want to make that distinction as this concept of a code comes from the feudal era of Japan and not in the modern history where, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, the Japanese just did some really ugly, very ugly things in modern warfare. 
Not a fan of it at all. I'm not a fan of it at all. But their feudal era virtuous content, I think, is worthy of consideration. And here's what comes about. If you've ever seen some of the more modern martial arts that wear a thing that looks like a black dress, there's seven pleats. There's five in the front, two in the back on that thing that looks like a dress. It's called a hakama. Legendary stories. There's a tiny bit of history that gives some credit to what I'm about to say, but it kind of evolved into something that was a story that's used more in modern character education than it is in actual history. But supposedly each one of those folds of the Hakama was representative of a character virtue. And so those character virtues are loyalty, honesty, charity, sincerity, honor, bravery, and courtesy. Just to give you an idea how I utilize those for character education in case you want to build something similar. I'm not saying build it off of these character virtues. I'm just saying here's one way that I did it because it appealed to youth. And I'm trying to give you some ideas on how to appeal to the youth in your life, whether you have children, grandchildren, you are a teacher, you are a martial arts teacher, uh, you are someone who guides a Sunday school class or mentors, Boy Scouts, or what have you, just give you a way that I did it, and it worked with great success, okay? I'm not saying that I'm anybody in special for doing that. I'm just saying, here's some ideas for you. You utilize storytelling as a means of demonstrating these different character virtues, and I'll finalize this podcast with one of those stories. I think you're really going to like it, but for example, have a story that demonstrates loyalty. Because if we just define the word loyalty and tell someone, hey, loyalty is this, and you should do this, then it's hard for people, particularly youth, very particular, particularly for youth, to see how to apply that directly in their life. However, if they hear a story, if they see a story, if they see a video on YouTube, if they watch a TV show, uh, if they read a book, whether it's on Kindle or it's an actual handheld book, or you can tell them a story. Then it illustrates the different character virtues, and it can so easily engage the mind, the creativity of the child, even the adult, if you will, that is listening to the story, and they can apply themselves basically into the story and see where they are in the story. And therefore, they can then move out from after listening to the story and apply it to what it is that they do. So again, loyalty um, is probably one of my favorite stories. It's the story of the king and the hawk, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But honestly, think about the boy who cried wolf. You know this story. Uh, That is a story that illustrates the problems with not telling the truth. And a lot of people, even though you may have not heard that story or read that story since you were a child, you remember that story and the lesson that came from it. Charity, I used to tell the story of the Emerald Lizard. Sincerity, two coins in the shoe. Honor, talked about the samurai on the beach, who in your community should you honor. Bravery, I talked to one of the stories I used to tell regularly, and I committed to this. One of the guys that I trained with in martial arts, his father was a POW during the Korean War. And there's a remarkable story about how he stayed alive and how he helped his fellow POW stay alive and they helped him stay alive. And it's just, it's mind-numbing. It's absolutely mind-numbing, the bravery that they put forth to one another. And then the last 
story that I like to tell is a story of Senorita Maldonado, where the idea that chivalry is dead and it's a war and it's in, in my mind, I think it's a, a story that's willing to continue the fight. And that's why I wanted to share these things with you today. Now, some of these stories you may have never heard, and, and I've thought numerous times of maybe sharing these particular stories themselves as part of the podcast. And if we get some positive response from this podcast, please let us know. Uh, you can contact us at podcast at naturereliance.org. Just hit us up. And that way, uh, if, if these kind of stories are something that you'd like to hear, then we'll be sharing stories like this as we move forward. Again, what I would do is was talk about the definition of a term like loyalty. I would tell a story like the king of the hawk, like I'm getting ready to tell you. And then I would always finish that with a question. And I'll finish today's story with a question for you as well. So let's get into the story. The story is the king of the hawk. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. The way I heard the story, it went like this. And there was a king, and he had grown into power after a long and terribly difficult reign as a military veteran and working into the role of being a general. And then he became king. But he was not one of these kings, if you will, that was standoffish and let other people fight his battles. He was always in the middle of the battles. One day he was out and they had been fighting a, a very difficult battle, a different part of the world, and he was expanding the area in which he was going to be king over. And this particular area that they fought and they won the battle was one that he had actually fought when he was a young man before, and they had lost it since that time. And he was basically coming back as an older man and conquering it again. Now, this general, one of the things that set him apart is he always had a hawk that would rest on his shoulder when he would ride into battle. And this hawk was a very noble creature, as you would imagine. And he utilized it much like we might use a drone in modern warfare. He had such a relationship with this hawk. They were very close and they could understand each other. The hawk would go up and basically gather information and come back and pass that information on to the king. Now, the way the story goes, I don't know how that works, quite frankly. I don't know how that story works. But the hawk would come back and give information to the king, and the king would utilize that information to move people within the battle space. You go here, send these troops over there, let the arrows fly, and so on and so forth. 
And so after fighting for several weeks in this particularly hot, difficult battle, they won. At this time, the king determined it was time for them to go back home because they had been away fighting for literally for years. And he said, you know, it's time we go back home. It's time that we take a break. We take a rest. So they built camp and they were discussing how they were going to march back home and how they were going to continue to take over this land and do what it is they needed to do to expand the kingdom. And the king, as he was laying down to rest that night, remembered a really vague memory from when he was there many years, many decades before, that there was a spring that was coming off the side of a hill, and out of this spring came the greatest, most tastiest, sweetest water he had ever tasted in his life. And so he determined when they got up the next morning, before they were to ride off and go back home, that he wanted to drink from that spring again and take some water home with him, maybe even all the troops. So he picked up three of his primary lieutenants because there were four different valleys that they could go down and he wasn't exactly sure where it was he just knew it was in the general area he sent each of his lieutenants in these three different valleys then he picked the other one and he went down that one and as they're riding obviously he picked the one where he thought it was but again he wasn't sure so he's riding out there on his horse and the hawk is up and it's flying about and just doing what hawks do right he gets to a spot and he goes in his mind he's man this looks incredibly familiar and then he sees it he sees the spring he sees the the drainage where this spring water has come off and so he rides to it and he's very excited and he's going to fill up his his canteen his his water bottle if you will and so he gets there and when he gets there there's it's a hot season and so there's not a lot of water running off of it there's just a drip So he jumps off his mount with his canteen. He looks up and he sees the hawk flying overhead. And he takes out his canteen, puts it underneath the drip, and then you hear this. Water, slowly but surely, dripping into his canteen. And so he waits. And he waits, and he waits, and he eventually gets, I don't know, kind of anxious. He wants to drink this water. He's been thinking about this water ever since he had this memory last night, and he wants to drink some because, again, it was the greatest water he'd ever had. He grabs a canteen. It's only about half full, and as he picks it up, wham, just out of nowhere. I mean, completely out of nowhere. The hawk comes in, knocks the cup out of his hand. Water goes everywhere. Water goes on him, the cup goes down the hill, and he's upset. And he's like, what the heck is going on with her? I mean, he is pissed. And so he continues to want the water, right? So he gets his canteen out again. He picks it up, he puts it under the water, and you know what happens, right? Slowly but surely, it's starting to drip and fill up the canteen again. So he 
is looking at the hawk, trying to figure out what's going on. He looks up above the hill where he's getting the water from the uh, drainage. The hawk is sitting on a sycamore tree up on the hill, and she's kind of preening her feathers, and she's just kind of cleaning herself off and doing all the things that hawks do. And he goes, you know, I don't know what was up with her, but something was crazy wrong with her. And he picks up his canteen because, again, he's really, really ready to drink some water. He's really thirsty. He's parched. And so he starts to pick up the canteen. He looks. The hawk is looking at him, but it doesn't look like she's going to do anything. And just as he's about to put it to his mouth, wham! She smacks it out of his hand again. Whack! And he's like, this time he's he's really pissed. He's incredibly upset and angry at this point. And therefore, he picks up his canteen. He puts it back under the drip. And you know what's happening, right? Drips. Slowly, but surely, into the canteen. Again, being very impatient and looking up and seeing that she had put her laser focus on him again and was watching him pick the canteen up. He actually, she's on his left, basically above him, several, you know, 100 yards up through the woods, and he can see her. He can tell that she's looking right at him. He slowly but surely takes his knife out of his sheath on his right side. He puts the canteen in his left hand, and he starts to pull the canteen up to his mouth, and he looks out of the corner of the eye without the hawk being able to see and he can see that she has left the branch of the sycamore tree and is about to smack him again. And just as she is about to run right into the canteen, whack, he pulls up the knife. She runs chest first, breast right into the knife, kills her, and shakes her off, throws her down, stomps on her, and is again without water. Now this was difficult. Because they were very close. And if it had not been for this hawk, there were many, many battles that this king king would just simply not have won. Even though he felt like she deserved it, he killed her. And he didn't like it. But nevertheless, he grabbed his canteen, very upset. And he's like, I'm just going to go up to the source of this thing. So he grabs his canteen, leaves the dead hawk at the base of the hill, resheaths his knife, climbs up the hill, gets up to the top where there is a small pond, if you will, water where this water is draining out of. And as he starts to dip his cup down into the water, he sees a snake, a venomous, dead snake, such that the water that was coming down out of this puddle of water was contaminated. He would have gotten sick possibly even died from drinking water with a dead snake in it. The hawk, the whole time, realizing what was happening, being in the position that she was to see the snake in the water, knew that the king was taking a very strong risk by drinking of the water and was simply trying to help him. His impatience, his anger got the best of him. And he unfortunately killed the hawk instead of 
what he probably should have done, which is reward her, re- reward her for saving his life. So that's the story of the King of the Hawk. Oftentimes I would use this story to discuss loyalty and how some people are loyal even unto death, even though that they know that it might lead to problems. Loyalty is a very important thing. Loyalty to friends, loyalty organizations, loyal to units in the military, loyal to family. These are all things that are worthy of our consideration. And the question I ask the kids is the same question I'm going to ask you here today. And that question is this. Who are you loyal to? One more time. Who are you loyal to? And the more important question is, why? Think about it. Who are you loyal to and why? That's what I'm going to leave you with. I don't have an answer for you. That's an answer for you to to come to terms with. Come up with an answer that's right for you because your answer might be different than mine. Matter of fact, I know your answer is different from mine and mine is different from that person over there and yours is different from that person over there and on and on and on. Who are you loyal to and maybe more importantly, why? So that's it for the Nature Alliance Media Podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Come on, join in. Let's learn together. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.